Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKinsey Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKinsey Brewing and McKinseyBrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. Got a great show today, PGF Nation. Going to talk about week 14 in the NFL. Oregon has a new head football coach. Going to give out this week's NFL game ball. And I have two awesome guests later in the show to preview two of the biggest games in the NFL in week 15. I'll end with the pick six, where I'll pick my six best bets of the week ahead. My co-host Tyrone Powell is out in Vegas celebrating his birthday. So I'm rolling solo today, but I've got a great show. So let's kick this off. Easily one of the biggest games in the NFL last Sunday was the Bills-Bucks game. It went into overtime. It was a big-time matchup of two teams that almost certainly will be in the playoffs, but two teams that right now are heading in opposite directions. We've talked about the Bills on this podcast, especially in recent weeks, and what the Bills have shown me is that they can't run the ball. They can't stop the run and they can't beat good teams. Once again, they fall to one of the elite teams in the NFL. The Bucks' game plan in this game became obvious right away. They showed zero respect for the Bills' running game. They blitzed on nearly every down. They knew that Buffalo was not a threat to run the ball at all. They wanted to put pressure on Josh Allen, get him out of his game, because that's the key to beating this Buffalo Bills team. The Bills didn't have a single run in the first half by one of their running backs. It's becoming a major issue. It's been a theme, like I said, on this podcast. Myself and Ty have talked about it. When Josh Allen is leading this team in rushing, you have a major problem. Now, I got to give the Bills credit in this game. They showed a lot of heart coming back and making this a game after getting beat up bad in the first half, taking it to overtime. But here's the bottom line, guys. They've lost four of their last six games This is a team that at the beginning of the season we looked at as a Super Bowl contender, an AFC championship contender, and Josh Allen was viewed as a guy who could be an MVP candidate, a guy who could possibly win the MVP. And right now, the MVP is on the other side of the field, and his name is Tom Brady. This guy continues to play at an incredible level. He shredded the Bills' number one ranked pass defense. I think it came down to the lack of pressure by the Bills' pass rush. They just weren't able to generate any pressure on Tom, and I don't care how good your secondary is. You give Tom Brady time, and he's going to carve up that defense. That's exactly what he did in this matchup. 
And right now, I'm starting to think more and more each week that the Super Bowl winner is going to have to get through the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm not sure anybody can at this point. They look like the champs. They look every bit like a team that could repeat. This team feels like it's peaking at the perfect time again, a lot like they did last year when they really started to put it together in the second half of the year. And this is a team that now that they've climbed the mountain, they know what it takes to do it again. This is a scary, scary football team that nobody wants to play right now. And as far as the Bills, like I said, this is a team that we had been questioning on this podcast the past few weeks. I have as little faith in them right now as I've had all year. They are in serious danger of falling out of the playoff discussion. It's alarming when you think about a team that we thought was a legit contender and how poorly they've played. I want to shift to America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. I'm starting to question if Dak Prescott is good enough for the Cowboys to win a Super Bowl. This is another team that at the midway point in the year, I thought looked like a Super Bowl contender. We talked about them possibly being the best team or amongst the best teams in the NFC. When you look at what Dak has around him, he has one of the best groups of wide receivers in the entire NFL, a top 10 tight end, a defense that suddenly become one of the league's best. Yet this Cowboys team, even after a win, they feel like a second-tier team in the NFC. The Cowboys were up 24-0 at halftime versus Washington, but they had to hold on late to win this game 27-20, only scoring three points in the second half. This offense has been hard to watch in the last couple weeks. They can't run the ball. Dak isn't taking care of the ball, which really hasn't been his M.O. He's been pretty good in that regard, but he's turning it over way too much. This Cowboys offense isn't finishing drives. They aren't finishing teams off when they have leads. They're struggling in the red zone. I don't love the play calling I've seen in recent weeks. Now, granted, I do like Kellen Moore. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I think he's a guy who's rising as far as his respect around the league. But the bottom line is that Dak Prescott hasn't looked very good for weeks. The defense was incredible, and they were the reason that they won this game. Now, for me, there's some question marks about this Dallas Cowboys team. The NFC East is so bad, they pretty much locked this thing up with just a few games to go here by winning against Washington They're going to be in the playoffs, but I'm starting to have real doubts about how much noise they can make. And I wouldn't have said that a few weeks ago. About a month or so ago, I thought this was a team that could make real noise and should make real noise. They've got the pieces. They look great on paper. They've got the playmakers. They've got all the things that you check as far as boxes for a team that should be a contender. But something just isn't right with this team. If the defense can continue to play like this, Maybe they can get back on track offensively and start to look more like a complete football team, but I just don't like what I've seen from this team in the last couple of weeks. Even though they've got some wins, they don't look like a team that's a contender. I want to jump to this Chiefs-Raiders game. The Las Vegas Raiders get absolutely blasted by the Chiefs, and this is after they decide to have a team meeting on the Chiefs logo at midfield before the game. This is a team that's been outscored 89-23 to in two games this year by KC. 
Nobody besides the Detroit Lions have lost more games in the last 20 years than the Raiders. Think about that for a second because this team was 3-0. and This team looked like they were starting to move in the right direction. The Raiders are like that guy in his late 20s, early 30s. He drives a nice new car with cool rims, Allegiant Stadium, always looks cool when he shows up to the party, silver and black uniforms, pirate logo. But in reality, he still works at Applebee's with no 401k, no IRA, no real future, while everyone else in the family, the NFL, wonders if he'll ever get his act together. What a terrible decision by this team. You just got blown out by the Chiefs a few weeks ago. You're not a good football team. You're not even close to a good football team. And you go out and disrespect them and give them an instant reason to get fired up for this game. And they blow the doors off you. Raiders, you're an embarrassment. And I'm sorry, if you're a Raiders fan, I know that's got to be tough to hear. But this team is a joke. And until they get better management at the top and get a real coach, a real GM, and a team that can really build something here, they've got to start over in Vegas because this franchise is just going nowhere fast. All the off-field stuff, they've gone through so much adversity this year. And I know it's been tough for these guys, but they've got to start over. They've got to reboot this team, start from the ground up, bring in a real GM, not some guy from a TV booth. Go find a young, hungry, smart coach and start rebuilding this roster and rebuilding this team because right now they're the same old Raiders. They're a punchline in the National Football League. And the Kansas City Chiefs just put an exclamation point on it last Sunday. I want to talk about this Monday night football game, Cardinals-Rams. This was a big-time matchup in the NFC West. Rams get a huge win after a rough stretch in November. I was really impressed with what I saw from L.A. in this game. Beating a team with the best record in football in Arizona on the road with four key starters out from this game. What stood out to me in this game, it feels like the Rams got back to what made this team great under Sean McVay, and that's committing to the run and having a balanced attack. It took pressure off Matt Stafford. You could see how relaxed and confident he looked in this game. It opened up the field for him. He was awesome. Played probably his best game of the year in this one. Went 23 for 30, three touchdowns, no picks. The Rams' defense was also really impressive in this game as well. They had two big interceptions off Kyler Murray and kept him out of the end zone completely. They were good against the run. They The score was close, and this was a good game. It was a fun game to watch, but the Rams clearly showed that they looked like the better team. The Cardinals surprisingly have all their losses at home. The interesting thing about that is with this loss, they're now in a three-way tie atop the NFC at 10-3, and three, but they fall to the three seed because of the tiebreakers. And one of those tiebreakers is with the Packers, who now jump up to the number one seed in the NFC. Or if you guys remember, the Packers had that big win against Arizona on Thursday night football without Devontae Adams, a bunch of key starters out. I thought it was one of the most impressive wins of the year by the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. And this loss 
is really going to be costly because when you look at the Packers the rest of the way, I think they have one of the most favorable schedules to finish the year in the NFL. They've got the Baltimore Ravens. That's going to be their biggest test, and it's going to be a game that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. They've got them next week. Then they play the Browns, the Vikings, and the Lions to finish the year. Green Bay right now is firing on all cylinders on offense. They're averaging 37.5 points per game in their last three games. It's funny because we came into the year thinking Tampa Bay and Green Bay were going to be two of the heavy favorites in the NFC. And after a crazy year of football, we're coming down the home stretch. And Arizona has been a big surprise, don't get me wrong. But here they are at the top of the NFC, the Packers and the Bucks, And I think they're on a collision course to face each other again in the playoffs. I can't wait. Week 14 around the NFL was absolutely crazy. Justin Herbert put on an absolute show, blowing out the Giants. He was awesome. He had one of the prettiest deep balls I've ever seen late in the first half to really pull away from New York. The Browns had a big lead against the Ravens. Lamar Jackson gets hurt. Tyler Huntley comes in and rallies the Ravens and almost makes a comeback in that one coming up just short. That was an exciting game to watch. The 49ers and Bengals came down to the wire. It went into overtime. Jimmy Garoppolo made some big-time plays in that game and led the Niners to a huge win in that one to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Bears surprisingly hung around with the Packers for a lot longer than most people expected, but then Aaron Rodgers and company really turned it on in the second half and pulled away. Another amazing week in the NFL. But with Ty gone, I've just got one game ball to give away, guys. The Week 14 NFL game ball is going to San Francisco 49ers tight end George Kittle. This guy is reminding us all why he's still one of the best tight ends in the game today. He was responsible for over half of the Niners' total receiving yards on Sunday. He was awesome. He had an incredible catch on a third and 10 pass from Garoppolo. He finished with 13 catches for 151 yards and a touchdown. Just a beast out there. He's really come on these last couple weeks for the Niners, and he's going to get the PGF game ball for me. All right, like I said in the intro, guys, Oregon hires a new head coach. They hired Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator from Georgia. As we know, Mario Cristobal left for the Miami job, a dream job for him, a guy who played at Miami. We talked about that last week when George Reiser came on the show and broke it down for us. And Oregon needed to nail this head coaching hire, especially after USC landed Lincoln Riley and rival Washington made a sneaky good hire with the former Fresno State head coach. Lanning was one of the hottest coordinators on the market. He's only 35 years old, and he's seen as a rising star in college football. He led Georgia's defense to the very top of college football, only allowing nine and a half points per game. That's the first time a team has allowed under 10 points a game in over 10 years in all of college football. Really, really impressive what he's been able to do with that Georgia defense. He did it with great players. Don't get me wrong. Georgia is loaded with big-time players, but many of those guys on that Georgia roster are guys that he helped recruit. His fingerprints were all over that defense and the players that they brought in. 
He's viewed as a top 10 recruiter in the country. This is a guy who lands big time talent and a great X's and O's coach, a motivator, a guy with a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. His players reportedly love to play for this guy. And look, this is a program who's won two of the last three Pac-12 championships. They've played in three straight Pac-12 championship games. They've been in big time bowl games, Rose Bowl wins in recent years and we're in the college football playoff discussion up until late in the year, losing a guy like Cristobal, who had flaws as a X's and O's coach at times. Some of his in-game decisions were head-scratching, wasn't great with time management and some of those things. As a recruiter, there's no denying that he's one of the best in the entire country, and Oregon benefited big time by Cristobal coming into the program and infusing this Oregon Duck roster with tons of talent, guys who are going to play on Sunday. And with USC bringing in Lincoln Riley, we've already seen an infusion of talent coming into USC. He is going to get that program up and going quickly, and he's going to do it with big-time recruits and big-time talent, just like the guys that he was bringing into Oklahoma. He's going to have the same type of success, if not more success, at USC because of all the five-star recruits that are in his backyard in the LA area, in California in general. It is a pipeline for big-time college football players, and he's going to have dibs on a lot of those guys. So Oregon needed to respond with someone who can keep up in the arms race, so to speak, and keep bringing in those big time recruits so that they can keep pace with USC and what they've done. So I think this is a big time hire by the Oregon Ducks. Now there's a lack of experience. He's never been a head coach at the college football level. And because of that, it's somewhat risky. He's a young guy, not a ton of experience. But when you look at what he's done as a recruiter, you look at what he's done as an X's and O's coach, especially on the defensive side of the ball, this guy checks a lot of boxes. I Like I said, I think he's a rising star. He was a guy that was coveted by a lot of programs, and Oregon went out and got him. I think it's going to turn out to be a really good hire. Only time will tell. But they had to respond from the USC hire to Lincoln Riley, and I think they did that in a big-time way by getting Dan Lanning out of Georgia. But like I said in the intro, guys, there are two big-time NFL games that I wanted to preview for you guys, and I've got two awesome guests coming up to help me do that. Both these guests are brought to you by Better Edge, so I hope you enjoy. And stick around afterwards for the Pick 6 betting segment. Excited to be joined by Brandon Carwile, who covers the Green Bay Packers for USA Today's Packers Wire. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, man. Glad to be here. Brandon, I'm excited to take a look at this team. I'm excited to have you on here. We know this is a team that's red hot right now. They're definitely in the mix, and I want to take a look at them and also kind of look at this big matchup between them and the Baltimore Ravens coming up this week. I want to start with Aaron Jones. He led the Packers in rushing yards five of the first seven games this season, but in five of the last six games, it's been second-year running back A.J. Dillon who's leading the team. He had 15 rushes to Jones five last week versus Chicago. Why the shift? Is it play calling, production? What's the story there? Well, Aaron Jones did have an injury probably about a month ago, and that kept him out for just one game. Also, you got A.J. Dillon, who is a premier power back, uh, I think one of the best power backs in the league. 
And now that we're in December, you know, even in November, especially in Wisconsin, it's super cold. Packers really want to lean on A.J. Dillon more and more as the season kind of wears on, mainly because of that cold factor and the fact that, you know, opposing defenses really aren't going to want to deal with him all game. You know, Aaron Jones is great. He's a great receiver. And he's, you know, the slasher, while, you know, A.J. Dillon is more of your bowling ball, if you will. Um, and that's kind of, you know, why there's kind of been a shift. That on top of the injury uh, that Aaron Jones had is why you're seeing more A.J. Dillon as a focal point. And A.J. Dillon has also proven that he's got some reliable hands, which is huge. So that's really helped him out as far as like staying on the field. Yeah, he's really coming on strong, and I totally get that. He's a big physical runner, and in those cold-weather games late in the year when everybody's a little dinged up, nobody wants to get in front of that train, so that makes a lot of sense. But having that two-headed monster for the Packers is really starting to prove to be a tough matchup for defenses. Who is a player, Brandon, that has been instrumental this season that you think just isn't getting enough credit, whether it's fans or media? Who's not getting enough praise this year? Well, there's a couple guys. I mean, I would I would start with a guy like Alan Lazard, who is a big bodied receiver. He's six five. He's two hundred twenty pounds. He's really really physical, really stocky. He's not overly fast, but he's a really good run blocker, and he just does everything really solid. Like he doesn't do one thing great. I mean, I I would say he is a a good to high level run blocker, but he's a guy who really stepped up, especially last week against the Bears, made some great catches. But you know, he just doesn't get a lot of attention just because he doesn't get consistent targets. And defensively, uh, I would say Dean Lowry is a guy who doesn't get a lot of uh, recognition. Uh, the past few seasons, he's just been really quiet. He was a former day three pick, and it was surprising when the Packers signed, decided to extend him and they let go of Mike Daniels. And then Dean Lowry had a couple seasons where he's just really quiet, really inconsistent. But this season, probably been his best season to date. He's been really showcasing his play strength on the D-line. He's a really good three-tech defensive end he's got really good strength and he's got good size he's six four long arms he's got a great bull rush and he can he's been much better against the run as well uh, but he's really flashed as a, a, a pass rusher this season especially I really love what you said about Lazard when you pointed out his run blocking his reliability and how he does all the little things well the run blocking is one of those things for wide receivers that often doesn't get talked about enough, I feel like, because it's not sexy. It's not going to win your fantasy league. But we know when we watch football each week that run blocking is so important and it's such an underrated aspect of a wide receiver's game. So I love that answer there. I think that's a great point by you. This matchup coming up with the Baltimore Ravens, what is a key matchup in this game that we'll need to watch for? Maybe a player-on-player -player matchup or a position group that could be the difference in this game versus the Ravens. I'm leaning toward, I don't want to butcher his name, uh, Odafe Owe, is that how you pronounce it? You know, the Packers obviously just had a, another devastating injury to their offensive line. Their offensive line has just been in a revolving door of injuries and guys filling in the whole season, but they've managed to, to get by and manage pretty well. You know, David Bakhtiari hasn't played this season. Elton Jenkins had the ACL tear back in uh, week 11 against the Minnesota Vikings. We saw Billy Turner go down with what could be a significant knee injury, and that required Dennis Kelly to step in at right tackle. Um, so I'm not sure if Owe is 
going to be lining up on the left or the right side of the defense. I'm not sure if he plays, you know, which edge he plays. So he could either be going against Yosh Nyman, uh, who's a former undrafted free agent out of Virginia Tech, or he's going to be going against Dennis Kelly. Neither of these guys were the playing starters at the beginning of the season. Like I said, the Packers have had to juggle so many different guys. Depending on which side of the line Owe is lined up, I'm interested to see him go against either Nyman or Kelly. Um, and that could be key matchup to watch just because, you know, you got Rodgers who's dealing with a toe injury. He's not he's he's playing really well. But then again, you know, his mobility isn't uh, where it could be. Yeah, always been a difference maker for sure. This is a guy who is really playing like a veteran, even though he's in his rookie year. Really solid player, a scary pass rusher for sure. And I like that you touched on the offensive line because it's something I wanted to ask you about. You had mentioned Billy Turner injured his knee versus Chicago. They're already without David Bakhtiari, Jenkins, their center, Josh Myers. It's been crazy. What are the timelines or what are some of the timelines that you're hearing for some of these guys to return? I know that Jenkins is done for the year with an ACL, but what about the other guys? What kind of timeline can we see for some of them? Bakhtiari, he tore his ACL last year. It was right before week 17. And that was just, you know, a brutal loss, obviously. And he returned to practice, might've been late October, maybe, maybe it was November. It's probably more more along the lines of November. Then they held him out of practice. He had that knee surgery to kind of clean up that ACL repaired knee. Matt LaFour did announce that the hope was for Bakhtiari to practice this week. So maybe he'll be out there, but it's not guaranteed. And even if he is out there Wednesday, I think he's hard pressed to to play this week. I just, that's not going to happen. I don't think maybe this week and then another full week of practice. I think he could return, you know, in week, what would that be? 16 Billy Turner. It's really too early to tell. We don't know if it was a sprain, if it was a tear, it looked like an MCL injury. They hope to have him back this season, but it was just kind of a, you know, just a generalization. Yeah, that's a tough loss for sure. Like you said, that old line has been hammered with so many injuries. Getting a guy like David Bakhtiari back could be a huge lift for this team. Making a playoff push, though, we know he's one of the best tackles in the NFL when he's out there and healthy, so that could be a big boost for them. I'm sure Packer fans will be excited to hear that he could be coming back soon. A lot of focus, Brandon, goes to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams in this offense. We know how special that side of the ball can be for this team. But this Packers defense is top 10 in yards per game allowed, passing yards per game, rushing yards per game, and points per game allowed this year. What has made this unit so complete this season? I mean, yeah, like you said, it's been incredible. All those numbers you just read off are totally a surprise to me because this defense just didn't look very strong in a lot of, in a lot of spots last year. Um, and that was under Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin, you know, was their DC in 2019 and 2020. Obviously, 2019, the run defense was their Achilles heel. Uh, and then last year, they they played well for most of the year. They really did. But then in the playoffs, the defense just really let them down. And that was because they had some just guys making mental mistakes that weren't playing with confidence, in my opinion. Um, and this year, you've got Joe Barry. Admittedly, I didn't think was going to be a great hire. I wasn't like too thrilled when he was brought on. I thought it was kind of like a nepotism hire by Matt LaFour because they both had worked together in Los Angeles in 2018. But Barry was very successful inside linebackers coach for them. He was great for, you know, uh, Alec Ogletree's development and Corey Littleton. But I just didn't, his past history as a defensive coordinator was just, it left a lot to be desired. He had a stint in Detroit and a stint in Washington. Neither of them went very well. And that's just kind of why I just 
wasn't thrilled about the hire. I thought there were some younger guys with better potential. And I thought this was going to be another kind of guy stuck in his ways, you know, not willing to adapt or get players to play to their strengths. But that's honestly exactly what he's been doing. He's been putting players in spots to succeed. You know, you got a rookie, Eric Stokes. He's playing with a ton of confidence at corner. And then you got a guy like Rasul Douglas, who's just been an insane in-season acquisition, playing with a ton of confidence. And that's because all these guys are just He's letting these guys play with confidence because they're doing what they're best at. They're playing man. They're using their speed. They're using their instincts. And that's, you know, just a total credit to him. And my and I just think he's been really good about being aggressive, knowing when to be aggressive. He's, he's not a crazy coordinator who dials up a bunch of blitzes, but he's just really good at putting guys in spots to succeed, in my opinion. Yeah, it's been a big turnaround for sure. And I like what you said about Stokes. He's a guy that I wasn't that high on coming out of the draft, to be completely honest. I didn't really love that pick. I wasn't sure how he fit, and I thought it was maybe even a little bit of a reach, but he's been a pleasant surprise for Packer fans. You touched on him, and he's been a difference maker for sure. I want to look at the Ravens defense here. It's top 10 in points per game allowed. They're very good against the run, if not one of the best in the, in the league. But they've struggled to defend the pass, especially with all the injuries to their secondary. The Packers like to have a balanced attack on offense. But do you expect the Packers game plan to air it out early and often considering this matchup? That's kind of what they tried to do against the Bears. They were airing it out at the beginning. They, were, they weren't getting their quick game going, which was kind of caused the offense to have a couple three and outs or, you know, very short drives. But it's every time, every time they get away from the run, the offense looks like that. It, it gets stagnant. Guys aren't open because it's like LaFleur, his script is never is never great. Or it just hasn't been great this year, maybe. You know, the first 15 to 20 plays, it's a lot of passing and it's a lot of downfield stuff where Rodgers is at his best, where he's getting the ball out on time. And I really hope that they are able to run the ball this week, especially because, you, like you said, the Ravens have a great run defense. And that's just when that Packers are at their best, too. It's when they're running the ball and they're keeping defenses guessing. So they have to be committed to the run. Even if it's not working as well as they want it to, you have to continue to run the ball. You have to pound it. You have to keep the defenses honest because I don't know if the Ravens play a lot of cover too but that's what a lot of teams play against Aaron Rodgers especially this season and if you want to be successful against cover two you have to be able to run the ball yeah that's a great take and I think you're right you hit it on the head this team is really clicking on all cylinders when the running game is complementing the passing game and opening things up we know how good Aaron Rodgers is at the play action game and that all starts to get going and taking those deep shots when the running game is a threat so I think that will be key in this match matchup for sure looking at the Ravens offense quarterback Lamar Jackson left last week with an injury and second year backup Tyler Huntley came in and really helped lead a comeback versus the Browns that came up just short we saw his athletic ability and confidence on display for a young guy reports say Jackson could return for this game versus Green Bay but either way the Ravens run a unique style of offense built around mobile quarterback play designed quarterback runs play action and a lot of RPO concepts how do you expect the Packers to attack this type of scheme? I expect a, a lot of full boxes, seven, eight man boxes against, you know, whether it's Lamar Jackson or Tyler Huntley. And I expect our edge rushers to be doing a lot of contain, you know, out on the edge. That's just going to be necessary because you don't want either Lamar Jackson or Huntley escaping the pocket. 
And like you said, uh, when I think about the Ravens, especially these last few years, I just think of them as like a power gap run team. They want to get downhill, whether even if it's even if they're running an, an RPO or, a, you know, an option where Lamar is going to keep it. You know, guys are crashing through the middle and he's getting around the edge loose, getting into space, which which is when he said his best. So I think. You're just going to see a lot of heavy boxes. You're going to see a lot of linebackers. You're going to see Adrian Amos possibly in the box a lot. You know, he's been Packers' consistent safety all season. So um, I'm really hoping that Kenny Clark has a big day at the defensive tackle spot because he's going to have to be able to set the tone at the point of attack, especially off the ball. If the Packers start getting pushed around, you know, in the trenches, the Ravens aren't going to get away from the run and the Packers could be in for a long day. Yeah, that's a great take, Brandon. And I think the point you made that was spot on, keeping containment on the edges. This is a team that you don't want to over-pursue those edges because it opens up those big running lengths for either one of these quarterbacks. So I think that's a great analysis by you. The Packers' special teams was quite frankly, Brandon, awful last week versus the Bears with a muffed kickoff, a muffed punt, a kickoff out of bounds, giving up big kick returns, a punt return for a touchdown. It was ugly. We talked about how good this team has been, offense and defensive-wise. How big of a concern are the special teams, not only in this matchup, but going forward for the Packers? It's a huge concern. I mean, you just laid it all out there. I mean, it was a joke to watch. I mean, honestly, anytime, even when there was a kickoff, I was assuming something was going to go wrong. And that's just kind of been the case for this Packers team. You know, since the latter years of Mike McCarthy, their, their, their coordinators just, I don't know, they, their attention to detail just wasn't there. And again, it could be the same thing this year where their, their current coordinator, this is his first season, Maurice Drayden. He's been a great assistant. He was a great assistant last year. You know, LaFleur went to bat for this guy and he promoted him. But it's been the same stuff. You know, they, they're they always in the bottom of the league at special teams. Their special teams usually is a reflection of depth. But the Packers have good depth. You know, their, their depth is really good. That's why they've been so resilient at, with all these injuries and in key spots. Jair Alexander, um, David Bakhtiari. Guys have stepped up. It's Darius Smith on, on the edge there on the defense. But the special teams, it's just too many mental mistakes. Guys aren't where they need to be. So I think... I think they're going to give Drayden a little more time, but if they don't do something soon, you know, a special teams blunder, especially in the playoffs, can lose you a game. Yeah, I agree, Brandon. It really starts to get highlighted in the playoffs. You hit that perfectly. We know how important every play is when you get into later in the season and you're playing against elite teams and elite competitions if you're going to try to make a championship run. And it is something that I think could be a concern for this team. They check a lot of boxes, but for some reason that has been an issue for them. And you're right. This is a team with a lot of depth. So I don't think it's a personnel issue. I think this could be a coaching issue. I think you highlighted that perfectly. But I wanted to thank you, Brandon, for coming on the show today, talking Green Bay Packers. This has been awesome. I know that the listeners are excited for this matchup. I know I'm excited for this matchup. And thank you for your time. Once again, we've been joined by Brandon Carwile, who covers the Green Bay Packers for USA Today's Packers Wire. Be sure to go check out his work there. And thank you, Brandon, again for coming on the show. Hey, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Excited to be joined by Ben Brown, a data scientist for Pro Football Focus, to preview this big AFC West matchup on Thursday night football between the Chiefs and Chargers. Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, it's always it's always a pleasure to be able to talk, you know, high quality 
AFC West action, a little bit of hopefully, you know, betting and fantasy football mixed in as well. So I'm excited. Thanks for having me on, Brad. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in here. And this is a big matchup. This has got to be one of the biggest Thursday night football matchups of the year. I know our listeners are excited to jump in and get a look at this game. And at PFF, you guys go deep on analytics. You give football fans some of the most in-depth information available. When looking at this game, Ben, what offensive versus defensive matchup is the biggest mismatch in this game, whether it be in individual players or position groups? That is a really good question, right? So obviously, you know, with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, we have we have the Kansas City Chiefs back atop our power rankings. We use a little bit of like an ELO adjusted model uh, and fold in some of like co- some context related to uh, PFF grades in every single facet. Uh, so with Patrick Mahomes, obviously, at quarterback, he hasn't necessarily graded really well uh, for the Chiefs so far this year, but he does give such a distinct advantage for the Chiefs game in and game out. We kind of see that play out uh, even in like some of our you know betting model predictions and those sorts of things. Um, so obviously, he is a pretty significant matchup situation. I think if you're uh, maybe looking at the other side of the football, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs really bad in run defense for us. I think they rank 31 out of 32 teams basically in our opponent just run defense grade. So I do think that situation with, you know, maybe Austin Eckler not necessarily being the prototypical feature down running back, but I do think he's going to have some success on the ground. If the Chargers kind of jump out to an early lead, I think that's going to be a little bit of a struggle. Of course, we have seen the Kansas State Chiefs play a lot better defensively over the past three or four weeks. So that is one overall facet matchup that I'm kind of intrigued by a little bit. Uh, Then with the Kansas State Chiefs, I do think obviously there's always, you know, the situation with how are they going to be defended? How are they going to slow down Tyreek Hill, right? And it's, you know, a good situation that at least... Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers have Chris Harris Jr., uh, a guy that has always graded really well from a PFF coverage perspective. Uh, have him in the slot. That's where you know Tyreek Hill runs over 50% of his offensive routes run. Um, so that's honestly, I think, a matchup that the you know the Chargers absolutely have to win if they want to not only potentially cover you know the three point spread, but also win outright. Obviously, slowing down Tyreek Hill has. Has you know he hasn't been like the complete focal point of the Chiefs' offense, but I do think that slowing him down uh, is the spot where the Chargers really need to win defensively. So we'll see. Those are kind of like the two initial matchups that I'm kind of diving and intrigued by and looking into. You know, outside of that, Joey Bosa, I think he had like the highest PFF pass rush grade uh, in a single game of the season last week. So he's a guy that's starting to kind of figure it out, kind of kind of rush from both positions. I think that's the matchup too that you know the Chargers really need to win if they're going to be successful, probably slowing down this Kansas City Chiefs offense. And again, we did see, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders have success uh, applying pressure on Patrick Mahomes last week. I think they had roughly, you know, 14 or 15 pressure pressured dropback situations for Patrick Mahomes. The problem is that he moved around in the pocket so well, was able to kind of extend the play, buy some time, get guys open like Byron Pringle down the field uh, to still have those successful Past situations, even when under pressure. So that's something that, you know, Patrick Mahomes is doing at a level uh, better than any other quarterback in the NFL. If the Chargers, you know, pressure situation doesn't get home uh, and Patrick Mahomes is able to kind of extend that pocket, I do think it's going to be a really long day for the Chargers in general. Awesome. Awesome takes there. And you're leading me into some things that I wanted to touch on. So this is perfect. And I want to dive into some of those topics further here. But I want to ask you here, sometimes casually watching football can cause fans and media to really overlook certain individual players. So based on PFF's data, 
Who would you say is the most underrated player in this Chiefs Chargers game? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to look, I'm looking right now at a rookie that has played really well so far, Creed Humphrey, uh, center for the Kansas City Chiefs. I do think a lot of times, you know, offensive linemen are definitely undervalued from not only being talked about uh, in the course of a football game, uh, but, you know, just getting acknowledged in general. So I do think he is probably the most underrated player so far. Played really, really well as a rookie. Uh, highest graded center from PFF's grading perspective so far this year has been uh, basically an elite player as a rookie. So I do think he has helped kind of solidify, you know, a Chiefs offensive line, which, which was definitely their worst facet of play last year. Uh, and they kind of have turned things long, around quite a bit. I mean, uh, we have the Kansas City Chiefs basically fourth overall in run blocking, uh, ninth overall in pass blocking. So top 10 units in both run blocking and pass blocking after that being, you know, their Achilles heel last year. And I do think a lot of that is because of Creed Humphrey. So I would say he's probably the most you know, underrated guy that a lot of people aren't talking about right now. Even as a rookie, I do think he has, you know, a very nice career outlook for him already. Yeah, I love that answer there, Ben, because we do a ton of draft coverage on this podcast. He was a guy I was really high on coming out of the draft, and he's really proven to be a really good rookie for the Chiefs and has made a big impact in his first year. This game features two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. You touched on it briefly here with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert for the Chargers. Mahomes has already been a league MVP and a Super Bowl champion, while Herbert was last year's Offensive Rookie of the Year and became the first NFL player to throw for 30-plus touchdowns in each of his first two seasons. So two-part question here, Ben. What do the PFF numbers say about where these two guys rank right now and how big is the gap between them? Yeah, definitely. So we are actually, um, we have been lower on Patrick Mahomes than what a lot of people would probably even give us credit for right now, just in the 2021 season. He hasn't necessarily graded really positively and he does have some of those situations that just turn, uh, you know, into horrendously bad turnovers. He did have come, some of those to start season, hasn't really had some of those lately. So he is actually grading PFF's perspective in the 20s for quarterbacks, which is kind of surprising. We do have Justin Herbert as a top 10 quarterback. Herbert's the guy that can basically make every throw on the football field right now. Obviously, you know, everyone's talking about the 56, 57-yard throw to Jalen Guyton last week in the end zone, talking about throw of the year. Uh, and, and, and it looked the part, right? I do think very few quarterbacks in the NFL right now can make the throws that Justin Herbert's capable of. On the other side of that, Patch Mahomes kind of touched on it a little bit before, but he has an ability to kind of like negate pressure to kind of move around either in the pocket or scramble around, kind of buy a little bit more time in order for his receivers to get downfield. And as soon as they are open, uh, he's going to hit them, right? So uh, they kind of are doing it in different perspectives, but Mahomes hasn't graded really well from us uh, from a PFF perspective. He is really good from an EPA perspective. I think he's a top 10 quarterback. Uh, we actually have Justin Herbert, eighth overall, Patrick Mahomes, ninth overall from EPA generated per passing attempt. So uh, we try and kind of fit, not necessarily fit, but we kind of try and at least make sense of PFF passing grades from an EPA per play perspective. So both guys are playing just a little bit better uh, in that regard. I think part of that is to do with Patrick Mahomes kind of like really swingy turnover plays he had kind of start the season. So uh, I don't think there's two quarterbacks in the NFL that if I was, you know, building a franchise right now, 
uh, I'd choose over these two. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Great in-depth stuff there. And I'm totally with you. I was kind of down on Mahomes, especially earlier in the year and had a lot of pushback when I said that the Chiefs offense, some of their struggles were coming from Mahomes. A lot of people didn't want to hear that because he's kind of been the golden arm quarterback here in the NFL. But I see kind of what you guys saw there. He was kind of erratic at times early in the season. It seems like he's stabilized a little bit here, but it's fascinating to see where you guys have him because I know you guys eliminate all the bias and all the noise and just look at the data. And I love that. That's exactly what we do try and do. So it is it is good that, you know, outsiders at least understand that. But I definitely appreciate it for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, you alluded to this a little bit and possibly answered this question for me already, but maybe we can take it a step further. So according to PFF, Patrick Mahomes has the most completions from outside the pocket this season. Does this stat reflect more on Mahomes' ability and confidence to make throws on the move, or has his offensive line forced him to leave the pocket more? Yeah, I think it is a little bit of both, I will say. I do think that it, that is kind of his ability, right? In a lot of situations, he is keeping his eyes downfield in some of those scramble situations where a lot of other quarterbacks wouldn't, right? And I think that is kind of playing into the fact. Uh, and he also tries to extend time as often as possible for his receivers to get open downfield. So we see that kind of play out in like his average time to throw. I think he's at like the eighth or ninth highest average average time to throw in the season. So if he's able to kind of negate the pass rush long enough that one of his guys is going to get open downfield. So I think him kind of moving outside the pocket is more a, a situation where he's trying to kind of let that game play out in the way that he wants to dictate it. So I do, I do think that it is um, or the pass blocking detriment that is really doing that. I do think it's the fact that Patrick Mullen is probably trying to hang onto the ball to make a play more so. So uh, we do like kind of how the Chiefs have graded from a pass blocking perspective this year. Yeah, it seems like they've made a big improvement there on the O-line. Their offensive line, as we know, was really in a big spotlight in that Super Bowl matchup where Tampa Bay was able to get so much pressure on them. They made some key moves to that offensive line. It seems like it's paying off with some of the players you mentioned as, as well earlier. And one of those guys that you mentioned as well was Chargers defensive end Joey Bosa. He was one of PFF's highest graded defensive players last week. We know he's a great player. And you talked about it briefly, but maybe we can jump in here further. How does he match up versus this Chiefs O-line? Yeah, it's it's going to be ugly, right? I think, you know, I think we'll probably see the majority of his pass rush snaps against against Andrew Wiley, who definitely below average run blocking grades so far in 2021 hasn't really hasn't really been all that great he is worse in pass blocking than he is in run blocking so it is a little bit nervous to see uh, Joey Bosa probably have a pretty significant mismatch I do think we're going to see not only you know Travis Kelsey needing to chip Joey Bosa at certain times we're also going to see you know one of the running backs probably Daryl Williams uh, get involved and at least trying to provide some sort of initial chip block on Joey Bosa in those, you know, heavy passing situation downs. But uh, it's going to be a team effort, right? I don't think Andrew Wiley uh, should be out there on an island against Joey Bosa too many times in this match, or else I do think things are going to get really ugly really quickly for that Chiefs offense. But we've seen, you know, like I said a little bit ago, Patrick Mahomes kind of at least be able to escape that initial defender long enough to keep his eyes downfield. Maybe somebody breaks open, but I wouldn't want to gamble on that continuing to happen kind of like it did against the Raiders here last week. 
Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting matchup to see what kind of impact Bosa can have in this game. And I like what you said about Travis Kelsey possibly being a guy that could chip. And if using that strategy, that could also take away from some of his production as a pass catcher. So I think that's going to be a really fascinating chess piece to really watch here in this game. One of PFF's featured tools is the best bet section where bettors can gain a serious edge with the in-depth information that Pro Football Focus has to offer. When looking at this game, our podcast partners at BetterEdge.com currently have the Chiefs favored by three points. What's the smart bet here based on PFF's information? Yeah, and I'll I'll go back to it, but I think Patch Mahomes over 2.5 passing touchdowns at plus 160 price. Uh, uh, probably is my favorite bet in this matchup. Uh, we do show a little bit of value on Kansas City Chiefs uh, minus three right now. Um, so I do think if you like the Chiefs, you're probably going to like Patrick Mahomes going over 2.5 pass touchdowns. Of course, uh, he didn't quite get over that number last week. There was a defense touchdown, two rushing touchdowns. But anytime that you think the Chiefs are at least probably going to cover the even better option at the plus price, I do think is Patch Mahomes over 2.5. So I'll have some exposure to both, but I do think this is a spot where the Chiefs could potentially show they are just a little bit, you know, better than their AFC West rival. And I do think that they probably are going to, you know, not only cover the spread, but maybe uh, do so in convincing fashion here on Thursday night. I like what you're saying there because this feels like a different Chiefs team than the one that played L.A. earlier in the year. They're starting to click. They're starting to get that playoff vibe going here. So I like that take. PFF also offers some great fantasy football analysis. L.A. Chargers wide receiver Josh Palmer is listed as one of the biggest risers this week. What do you expect from him in this game? And who are some other guys to watch for in this game from a fantasy football perspective? Yeah, it is interesting, right? So Josh Palmer kind of running as the third receiver. It has been a little bit more of a, you know, overall mixture from them. And of course they had, uh, you know, the COVID situation last week, which probably pushed Palmer up a little bit, at least as far as utilization goes. So then we saw, you know, Guy Guyton have the big touchdown catch, you know, deep touchdown catch from Justin Herbert. So It'll be interesting. It does sound like it does sound like Keenan Allen's back, of course, uh, and they're always going to have Austin Eckler, Eckler mixed in uh, quite a bit, at least as far as that receiving back goes. So I'm looking at the splits just a little bit here. Guyton played 58% of the routes last, or 58% of the offensive snaps last week. Josh Palmer played 86% of the snaps last week. So uh, I think still a cut in him. He's probably going to be closer to you know 40, 50% of the snaps played with a healthy Keenan Allen, with a healthy Mike Williams. You know, especially if, you know, the Chiefs somehow end up being up here. But I think I've always I've always kind of liked it. But I do think Austin Eckler uh, is probably my preferred play from a fantasy perspective. Just has, especially in a PPR format, uh, is just a guy that is going to get uh, a lot of touches in this offense. Right around a 15% target share on the season, 14% target share on the season, target on, you know, 24, 25% of his routes run. I can make one guy miss and can be gone. So I like Eckler a little bit. Uh, I do think a guy to fade, probably Mike Williams, unfortunately, you know, a little bit more of a deep threat, obviously, has seen dot come down just a little bit from where he's been at in years past. I think he's at like an 11.5 average up the target. So, but I still think Keenan Allen's going to be the guy in this Chargers offense. Uh, and I don't think we're going to see any kind of, you know, COVID related setback from him. So uh, I definitely think you got to probably pump the brakes a little bit on the rest of the uh, Chargers receiving unit outside of Keenan Allen here on Thursday night. 
Awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. That's a great take there. And Herbert's a guy that we know kind of likes to spread the ball around, but I like some of the matchups that you pointed out there. And I like the Austin Eckler uh, matchup as well. I think that's a great take. He's going to have to be a focal point, I think, in this game if the Chargers are going to be able to pull this upset in this one. We took a deep dive here. This has been totally awesome. We've looked at this game from almost every angle, whether you're a Chiefs fan, a Chargers fan, watching the game for fun, whether you're betting this game or interested in the fantasy part of it. We covered it all here, just like the guys at Pro Football Focus do. We've been excited to be joined again by Ben Brown, data scientist for Pro Football Focus, to look at this matchup. Thank you so much, Ben, for your time. We really appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thanks, Brad. It's been a lot of fun, obviously. I definitely appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. It's time for the Pick 6, presented by Better Edge. All right, since I'm rolling solo, guys, I'm going to make all six picks for you guys in the Pick 6 this week. And I'm going to start with L.A., the Chargers, plus three versus the Kansas City Chiefs. This, for me, is a fade-the-public pick. I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. They're divisional teams. The Chargers have the defense from a schematic standpoint, and they have the offensive firepower to match KC in this game. They already beat them earlier this year, so I'll take the points with a good team at home. My next pick is going to be the Colts, and I'm going to lay the two and a half points versus the Patriots. Once again, another fade the public pick. The public is coming in all over the New England Patriots in this game because of how well they've played, but this Colts running game could be a problem for the Patriots. Their defense is better versus the pass, but they can be a little soft up front versus a physical running team like the Colts. So give me the short home favorite. Colts laying two and a half. I think they match up well versus this Patriots team. The next one I've got is the Eagles, and I'm going to lay the four and a half points versus the Washington football team. The Eagles are coming off of a bye. They're going to be fresh for this one. That extra time to prepare for this game. A team that wants to run the ball. The Washington football team has played well in recent weeks. The line in this game is very interesting to me because these are two teams with identical records in a divisional matchup, yet the Eagles are four and a half point favorites. I think Vegas knows that this is a bad matchup for Washington, so I'm going to lay the points and take the Eagles in this one. Next pick I got is the Jacksonville Jaguars minus three and a half versus the Texans. The sky is falling in Jacksonville. Urban Meyer has become a punchline. We know that he's done at the end of the year. Everyone is against this team. Everyone thinks they're garbage, and they are. Let's be honest. They're terrible. But that's why you got to take them this week. We forget that the Texans are almost as bad as they are. And they're going to have a rookie quarterback, Davis Mills, starting on the road. The line opened at minus three and moved to three and a half. So that tells me that the pro money is on Jacksonville, and I'm going to follow the pros on this one. My fifth pick in the pick six is the Carolina Panthers plus ten and a half versus the Bills. We talked about the Bills. Josh Allen is hurt. He's in a walking boot. We know he's not going to be 100% by the time this game kicks off. The Bills' only run game is Allen. That's been a problem, but if he can't move around, if he can't extend plays and pick up yards on the ground, then I really don't trust him to stand in the pocket and pick apart the Panthers. Carolina is a run-first team versus a Bills team that can't stop the run. 
too many points in this one, getting 10 and a half, I've got to take the Panthers. And my last pick in the pick six is the Denver Broncos. I'm going to lay the one and a half points versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Denver's defense is not getting enough respect this year. They've been really, really good. Joe Burrow is still playing through an injured hand, and I think that's going to be an issue in this game. The Broncos should be able to run the ball. They've been able to run the ball really well, especially at home. I think they're going to be able to control the clock in this game. A home team only laying one and a half points versus a Bengals team that's got issues, like I mentioned, especially at quarterback. I'm going to take the home team. Give me the Broncos minus one and a half. If you enjoy the pick six betting segment, be sure to follow me on betteredge.com at Brad Fowler PGF, where I give out additional NFL and college football picks. All right, that is going to do it for the pick six. It's also going to do it for today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.